Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of Multilingual Montessori. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and at multilingualmontessori.org. Today I'm speaking with Megan DeClerc, a multilingual mom of four. Megan lives with her family in northern Vermont and homeschools her children with a Montessori-inspired curriculum. Megan's children are trilingual. She and her husband use the one-parent, one-language method in their home. Megan speaks exclusively in Spanish to her children, her husband speaks exclusively in French, and they get English exposure from their community. Since we recorded this episode over the summer, Megan has also started speaking Italian with her children every day at lunchtime, which you might recognize as the time and place method. Megan went to Montessori school as a child growing up in Houston, Texas. She has a master's in international policy and crisis management from the University of Rome, La Sapienza, and has lived and worked all over the world, including at an NGO in Kenya and throughout Central and South America. Megan is a great example of a parent teaching her children a language that is not her first language. If that's you or something that you aspire to, I hope this conversation will provide some inspiration and reassurance that it can be done and it doesn't need to be perfect. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Megan. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast. It's great to talk to you today. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you. So to start, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us about your family, uh, where you live and what you do. Sure. So I we live in Eden, Vermont. Um, we just recently moved there about a year and a half ago. And it's very far north. And we have a little homestead that we bought, um, sort of sight unseen. So it's been quite an adventure. Uh, I started very recently um, homeschooling. We have four kids. We have a almost seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a almost three-year-old, and a baby. Um, and due to COVID, we started homeschooling, and now it's sort of become this wonderful experience that we are sort of psyched to continue. Um, I am also a doula, and I haven't been working very much throughout the last couple of years just because of COVID, but um. I'm looking into becoming a childbirth educator as well. So, and yeah, so my family in terms of like language, we do uh, one parent, one language. And I speak only, only Spanish to them and my husband only French. And we've done that from the very beginning. Cool. Okay. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, but first tell me a little bit about your language experiences growing up and what role did language and, uh, multilingualism play in your life if it did at all as a child and then as a young adult? Sure. Uh, growing up in Texas, I was always exposed to Spanish and I'd say that was the biggest, um, sort of the, the language that I was the most exposed to, but I, I did not speak it with my family growing up. Uh, my mom is Italian American and my dad is from new England. 
So, um, but I was always just fascinated by languages. I, I studied, you know, in Montessori school, you can so easily choose what you are interested in. And so we had French available and I was able to like dive into that as a very young child. And I, you know, I didn't learn that much, but I was very interested and I spoke Spanish with, we had a fabulous Montessori Spanish teacher from, I think from about third grade all the way till sixth grade, I had her and she just spoke to us in Spanish and we, you know, I started to get, so I get, got my base from that. And then when I was, um, I, I didn't speak fluently until I went to, I, I went to Ecuador through Amigos de las Americas when I was 17 and I stayed for about two and a half months and I was just completely in love with Latin America and the culture and sort of felt like I'd found my, you know, calling. And I, and then I did it again for four, four times total. So summers during high school and then in college, I went to different countries in Latin America and then that's how I became really pretty fluent. Um, so after that, I, um, let me see. I went to Italy for a year as a nanny after I graduated college. And I had was very passionate about learning Italian because my mom growing up until I think she was five or six spoke only Italian in the house, but then she forgot it. Well, I really wanted to learn my own heritage language. And it was, just, I was just fascinated by, you know, why did she forget it? Like, it seemed to me like that would be enough time to have it be in there somehow, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. So all of these things, like I was just very interested. So I, I went to Italy and I was, you know, relatively fluent after a year. Uh, it definitely was interesting to me the way my brain, and I don't know if this is because I learned as an adult, but when I first started learning Italian, I couldn't say anything in Spanish, nothing. It was like, it just shut down that that pathway and I had to get to a level of fluency for them to be able to separate yeah but for a while it was like I would get so frustrated because people would speak to me in Spanish and all of a sudden I just like blank like a blank yeah. slate. so that was very interesting to me um yeah. then when I came back from Italy I I uh I stayed for a very short amount of time in the States to save up money. And I went to Spain and I did a, um, woofing, which is, um, um, worldwide opportunities for organic farming. So I did that all over Spain and, you know, my Spanish got a lot better during that year. Um, and I came home and I worked with refugees from Cuba and I did that for about four years. So I have had a very like, mixed Spanish experience my Spanish comes from so many different places and I think sometimes it's you know sometimes I, I, I catch myself saying something that's very Spanish and sometimes like from Nicaragua or not very often from Cuba but it was it was very challenging for me to learn the Cuban dialect is so different um oh, wow. that's so interesting yeah I was gonna yeah. ask you what um what blend of Spanish you feel like you speak now yeah I don't know you know I, I spent a lot of time so recently before Vermont we lived in um in northern California on a, a sustainable farm and ranch in community and 
there was several other people in the community that spoke Spanish and they, so I sort of have taken you know, theirs on as well, Guatemalan, Mexican. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just a real mix. Mm, cool. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about learning Italian and then not being able to speak Spanish, it reminded me of uh, in college, I took 200 level Italian and French at the same time. So basically yeah. like second year college level French and Italian. And it was such a disaster. I felt like I couldn't speak either language. And so, and I had studied French all throughout high school. So I was like, oh, I can keep these separate. And I couldn't, and I had to drop French and keep going with Italian and then pick up French again once my Italian was much better than my right. French. <laughs> fascinating. It's just so fascinating. To me. And I don't think that children have the same, well, I know they don't, they don't have the same issue you know, their brains automatically create these pathways without ever looking back. Whereas yeah. for me, because probably because I was older when I started and, and the languages are so similar. So it made it even more like they just sort of stuck together <laughs> instead yeah. of being able to, you know, separate them right away. Yeah. Um. So I also, I did my internship in, for my master's degree in Kenya and I sort of like, I was so fascinated with the language, but I didn't learn very much. I was only there for a couple of months, but um, I did try, you know, and I came back being able to like get by. Yeah. And I sort of took my, I tried to learn a little bit of Arabic at one point. So I've always just been fascinated and wanted to learn. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a lot of your experiences living abroad, but tell me a little more about those experiences and what were some of the highs and lows um, and what did you bring back with you each time you returned to the U.S.? Sure. Um, highs and lows. It's so uh, hard for me to say that there were lows, although I'm, I know that there were because I've had some very wild like experiences that I uh, looking back, I'm even like, I can't, you know, I can't believe that happened. I, when I was in Ecuador that first time, I had an experience where I was bit by a rabid dog. And it's a very long story. I won't go into the details, <laughs> but it was, you know, s scary, <laughs> scary for my parents when they have their little girl the first time abroad. And, um, in Kenya, there was a, uh, a pretty intense like attack on the NGO we were working for. And so that, but all of these experiences I feel like are what makes a person, you know, I, I don't think I would ever say like, don't look for, you know, try to protect yourself from all of these things because the challenges abroad is what makes it so like mind blowing and changes you and um, gives you those stories that later on you look back and sort of laugh and like, I can't believe that that happened you know yeah when I when I was woofing in Spain I ended up like going to Spain with almost enough money to like get through the first month <laughs> and, that, and that was it and so I had to find a way to make money to get back and I ended up teaching English and I taught English and then by the end of the summer I was like okay I have to have some way to keep my money and at that point in my life I just decided well I'm going to sew it into my pants. 
So I, I took all the money that I'd made and sewed it into my pants and like eventually bought the plane ticket home with that money that I had saved, saved up. Wow. Um, yeah. And then so after, I guess, back to my master's, after I came back and I was working with Cuban refugees, I really wanted to be able to, um, I guess, have more of an understanding of like the international issues that had caused them to be refugees and not just Cubans, of course, but all of them. And so I looked for a master's in international policy and chose this one that was back in Italy. So I went to Rome um, and it was an incredible experience. There was people from all over the world. Uh, the master's was taught in English, but you know, living in Rome for two and a half years. So my Italian got much, much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just I fell in love with the culture and the language and the people, and it was it was wonderful. Um, and I also learned a lot about you know how NGOs function and just like the the culture of um, aid work and all of that. Mm, wow, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, anything else about living abroad that you wanted to touch on? Um. I think that in terms of for myself and probably for most people, like language acquisition happens when you're living abroad. I think that, you know, it's like, for for example, my French, I, I understand everything that my husband says to our kids, but I don't have the experience being in a country that speaks only French. So I don't feel confident in speaking. And I think that it's because, you know, once you're immersed and you are forced to be able, you have to be able to speak. And I always sort of joke because I'm very bad with directions. Like I have a horrible sense of direction. So I had to like be able to say, where am I? You know, how do I get home? How do I get to the nearest train or all of those different basic yeah. things? <laughs> it definitely is so different when you're forced to use it and speak yes. it every day. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Montessori. So you mentioned that you went to Montessori school as a child. What do you remember from Montessori school and how do you think that it shaped your life as an adult? So yeah, um, I went to Montessori school from the time I was 18 months old until eighth grade. And I thought it was wonderful. I I remember being so... Um, happy that I could do what I was interested in and feeling like I was really able to like make my own choices about what I was learning and that that was you know I have very vivid memories of like finding like one time I remember I found this like bizarre looking fruit and my teacher said like okay well let's make it into an experiment like what can you figure out about this and where did it come from and you know all of those kinds of things and I think that that shaped the way that I sort of was able to like follow my passion and just do like go for it not sort of hold back but like okay this is something I'm interested in like you know kind of all all in so you went to Montessori school in Texas mm-hmm. yeah. did, did your school have um, a big outdoor environment um I'd say there was a relatively big, not, you know, not like it would be if it was in, in Vermont where we are now, it, you know, it's, it's hot and 
not as much, but it did have, it did have some outdoors. Yeah. I was wondering if that influenced your interest in, um, in farming and, and that. Yeah, for sure. It's sort of the opposite of, of Houston, you know, Houston is like a concrete (laughs) city. (laughs) Okay. So tell me a little bit about your journey to homeschooling your children. I know you mentioned it started because of COVID. Um, and so what have the past two years been like and, and what, really motivated you to keep homeschooling them throughout, um, you know, the second year, second, third year of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, after we started homeschooling, I I was very nervous to take on this undertaking. It's a big thing, you know, and especially we have such young kids and I just didn't know how it would go in terms of like their age differences, even though, in the back of my mind, I did have this idea that like Montessori, that's how it functions. You know, there's all a group of kids that are three, you know, three years apart. So although they're a little bit further apart, I thought, okay, this can work, but I was nervous to kind of take it on. And then once I started, I got a curriculum that's called um, Blossom and Root. And I, I started using like sort more strictly this curriculum. This is what we're going to do. This is, you know, how we're going to schedule it. And I found myself sort of falling back towards like a more Montessori model and just going with my gut. Like this child is interested in, you know, dinosaurs. So let's like start reading about dinosaurs. And it worked so well. And I was so excited to like, see them sort of flourishing and learning how to read and learning how to write and being interested in it and like that we could do it together was this like beautiful thing that we were able to like have this time together and I all of a sudden was like okay I don't I sort of came to the realization like I don't have to send them to school it's not I don't think I had that as a possibility in my mind before Like, it was always like, this is what you do. And now I'm like, this is really working. Like, and they're doing really well and I'm loving it. So I feel like as long as that's true, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, that's so cool. Do you know other families in your area that are also homeschooling? Yeah, that definitely played a big part in it. I, um, there's a, another family who has four kids that's right down the road from us. And she's also homeschooling. And once I met her and she sort of opened the door to like a whole group of people um, who are homeschooling and in Vermont, it is very much something that people do. Mm. It's I don't think it's as much in Texas, maybe now, but um, maybe when, when I was growing up, it wasn't, but in Vermont, you know, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of like groups that to get together, there's a lot of co-ops. And so it's just, doesn't feel like you're on your own trying to figure it out. Mm, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so when your first child was born, what did you plan as far as multilingualism? Did you set out to do one parent, one language from the start? And um, has that evolved with each of your children? Yeah, so that's exactly what we did. Um before his name's Dante, before Dante was born, I was really trying to decide, you know, should I teach him Italian? Should I teach him Spanish? And Italian is sort of this like, like feels like home. And so I struggled with it because I wanted to teach him my heritage language. But then I've also have this great attachment and affinity for like Latin culture and for the language. 
and Spanish is really, really useful. So like, it just seemed like that's what I needed to go with. Um, and I'm really, really glad that I did. So I decided, okay, we decided we're going to do one parent, one language. And we had a model from my brother-in-law who's a, a French and Italian teacher. And he married a woman from El Salvador and they did this and their kids are much older and it worked. And so we could sort of see that this is like, this is how they did it. And it really is working and the kids are fluent in all three. And so we started and we set our minds like, this is how we're going to do it. And we have not like looked back. So after Dante was born, I started speaking Spanish and I, again, was a little bit like, can I do this? It's not my first, you know, it's not my first language. How's this going to go? But I, as the years have gone by, like I have become more and more confident that like, I just learn with them. Like I'm still not, I'm never going to be a native speaker. It's I'm still, you know, English is still my first language. And I, I did learn it as a, as an adult. Um, but I feel very confident in the, like the level that I'm at right now in order to teach them. So it just sort of evolved. And I, I think that's something that I would really like to like, for other people that are going about trying to do this, to have them understand is that even if you're not like a hundred percent fluent, you can still teach your kids. It's totally possible. Yeah. I love that. What's your husband's background in French? So he is, um, he's, he's Belgian. He grew up in Los Angeles, but he's Belgian. His parents are both from Belgium and they moved to the States. They have five boys and he's the fifth. So they lived in Belgium for two of them were born in Belgium and then one was born in Canada and the last two were born in the States, but they only spoke French in their house. So he was sort of, he had more of a, like, this is what we do kind of, you know, this, it wasn't a big change for him. Like to speak to his kids just seemed sort of like, this is a natural, you know, um, but yeah, we made this very important decision, I think, together that this is the way we were going to do it. And so he also doesn't ever, he never says anything in English to them. He never, you know, breaks. So yeah. the kids know, like, this is, they don't, it's interesting to watch because once they know that that's the way it is, like, they don't seem to push back. You know, I, I think they, they are definitely getting more English as they grow, as they grow up. But it's still like, this is what I speak to my dad and I speak to my dad in French. It's like such a neurological connection that, that like, it's almost like just as embedded as like, this is, this is our language. Like, this is what we are together. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you speak English to each other? Yes. Yeah. And so as a level of yeah, tell me more about that and what that's like when you're all together and what languages are being spoken. Yeah, so it's pretty much just always all three. Um, and if his parents are there, then there's more French. Uh, and like, for example, if we're in Texas, like we are now, there's more Spanish. We have people coming in and out that, that speak Spanish. Um, but in our house, it's, you know, pretty much always I, I'm speaking to them in Spanish. He will come in and I'll talk to him in English and then the kids speak to him in French cool what language do they speak to each other in 
So that's also very interesting. He, they, the two oldest, um, almost entirely spoke Spanish up until I would say the last year and a half. And I think that they have watched some TV in English and when they play, so if they're playing like a show that's related, like they watch Dinosaur Train. And if they're playing a show that's related to the to Dinosaur Train, I mean, if they're playing a game that's related to Dinosaur Train, then they speak in English to each other. Otherwise they speak in Spanish, like, or if they're playing, like a lot of times they play these things like Octonauts and that's, they watch only in Spanish. So it's completely in Spanish. And now that's sort of how it works. And I, so I'm like, we need to watch only French and Spanish because yeah. <laughs> it keeps them speaking to each other in those languages. Yeah. They don't speak to each other very much in French. Um, they do if my husband's there, obviously, but most of the time, because it's me that's homeschooling, they speak to each other in Spanish. Mm, interesting. And yeah. then they have friends outside the family, of course, who they speak to in English. Only in English, right. And my parents, they speak only in English, too. Mm. So did you notice um, any, like, what was their language progress like when they were first starting to speak? And um, was it kind of like a more or less even acquisition, not acquisition, I guess, the words that they were producing? Was it more or less even between the three languages? Or did you see one come out first and then the others kind of catch Mm -hmm. up? Um, I would say that in the very beginning, it was uh, with Dante. It was a lot of Spanish, although l- much less English. Much less English. Um, there was French. My mother-in-law talked to them a lot, um, and my father-in-law in French, and they so they had that sort of as a backup, you know, from my husband. Um, there was definitely much less English in the beginning. Uh, my three-year-old now has probably been exposed to more English, so he's got more of a handle on it than the other two did at that age, I think. Um, it was interesting because like my my middle son, he he spoke pretty much only Spanish for a while, and he started speaking during COVID, so we were together a lot more than probably we would have been, you know, in, a, in another situation. And so he was very, very fluent in Spanish and French and then almost no English at all until we like did a big trip to my parents. And then it just clicked, you know, almost immediately. It was very interesting to watch. Wow. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so what does multilingualism look like in your homeschooling routine and the day-to-day of school? Yeah. uh, So that's been another adjustment. Um, I want them to be able to learn to read and write in all three. Uh, But I know that here they need to be able to read and write in English first. So we've been working on that a lot. And so that, that was the first time that we, I ever did anything with them that wasn't in Spanish. And so now I've been teaching, especially the oldest um, to read in English. And so we've, you know, but when I'm explaining it, I, I revert back to Spanish. So like, even if I'm telling him what letters it is, like if he's having trouble making the letter sounds, I will say the letter in Spanish and then he 
sort of translates and, and does it in English. So, um, and then they also, every day, my mother-in-law does a Zoom French class with them oh, from, wow. from California or wherever she is. Yeah, it's so fabulous. So they're getting like a French lesson to read and write, you know, and it's really, at this point, it's really only the almost seven-year-old who's reading and writing, but now the five-year-old, he's getting there, like he's been writing, starting to write in French, starting to write in English, starting in Spanish. So it's wow. pretty great. Yeah. That's so cool. What kind of things does your mother-in-law do with them on Zoom? She has been so creative. She got a Montessori-based um, book from France the last time she was there. And it's got all like the uh, um, ways to teach the math. Or like re even even the reading lessons are it's Montessori based, so it's fabulous. And she's doing that with them. And then I had some of the materials that I would like take out, and she'd try to use them from the from the Zoom call. Um, so she yeah, she's taught them like how to do um, basic grammar and reading in French. It's very difficult. Like I can't even. I can't even read some of the stuff that they're they're trying to do. And they're just now starting to do very short books. So like stories that that she thinks are interesting. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. How wonderful for them. Yeah. What do you think has been the biggest challenge for you in um, maintaining this one person, one language and really sticking to it? Uh, hmm. I guess I would have to say that sometimes I want to make sure I'm not um, excluding anyone from the conversation. If, for example, I had my very close friend's daughter come for a week of um, like we did like a summer camp and her mom really wanted me to try to speak to her in Spanish, but I could tell she wasn't feeling she wasn't feeling it, not all the time. So I, and that kind of comes up where I, I feel like, okay, I'm speaking to them and I don't want someone to think that I'm saying something about them or that I, especially if it's a kid, you know, an adult, I can explain like, this is what we do. And most of the time they're, they think it's fabulous. But if it's a, a child, you know, you don't want them to feel like, right, like, what are they talking about? So I do have to like catch myself and say, and it, this part is hard for me, like, to say it in English or to say it in Spanish and then to say it in English for them. And I have trouble remembering to do that. Mm. But th I think that for me is probably the biggest challenge. And have you, um, have you noticed your children at all? Like, have they ever had a moment where they were like, mom's first language is English or not that they would maybe think of it in those terms, but have you ever noticed them be like, why aren't we speaking to you in English or do they just associate you with Spanish since that's how it's always just been? associate me with Spanish. In fact, if I have said something to them in English, which has only happened, I can count maybe like on two hands ever um, that I just said it like accidentally. Um, they get so like weirded out <laughs> like you know how could you do that and in fact it's so interesting because my middle son he he said I'd really like to teach them Italian and how can we make this work and I started to talk to them about it 
And he said, I don't want you to speak to me in anything besides Spanish. Like it just, it's so, it's so about his connection to me that, that, that just yeah. is not an option. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And have you ever felt, I guess it's been almost seven years now that you've been speaking to them in Spanish every day. But have you ever felt a moment where there was something that you couldn't say as well as you might in English or has that ever been a struggle for you? Absolutely. I spend a lot of time looking things up and I, uh, I'm sort of like dedicated. Okay. If I don't know how to say this, I'm going to figure it out. So I've learned all kinds of, you know, they are very interested in like marine animals, like who would know, you know, how to say (laughs) some of these things (laughs) like gigantic squid or, you know, just things that like, I would never have even thought of. I don't even really know the word in English until they bring them up. So I spend a lot of time looking it up and grammatically, I know that there's times that I've made mistakes. And once I realize that I made the mistake, I just sort of start saying it correctly and I've noticed that that works. Sometimes they'll like say, I, like, why are you saying it like that? But most of the time they just sort of adapt and mm-hmm. pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I also um, watch a lot of telenovelas. I, <laughs> have to, I have to keep it up. So like I find things to watch in Spanish because it helps my brain to like keep learning. Yeah. Do you have any, um, any Spanish speaking adult or children friends where you live? Um, we just recently met a really wonderful family from Venezuela. And we were all very excited because now we have someone to speak with. It's, you know, we've only been there a short time, but they are there. So that's good to know. Interrupting my conversation for just a minute to tell you about multilingual Montessori consultations. I conduct language consultations with families, schools, and teachers about Montessori education and multiple language acquisition and development. If you have questions about how to raise bilingual or multilingual children, if you're interested in introducing an additional language to your child but not sure how to go about it, or if you're looking for advice on how to incorporate Montessori into your family's daily routine, you can schedule a one-on-one session with me to discuss all of these topics and more. A recent consultation I did was with a family living in Switzerland. The mother's first language is Indonesian, the father's first language is Portuguese, their family language is English, and their three-year-old child's school language is French. We discuss strategies for how to incorporate all of these languages into their routine in an organic way that best fits their family's individual needs and preferences. Reach out to me through the link in the show notes or on Instagram if you'd like more information about scheduling a consultation. So you've been doing this for seven years and now you have four children. So what advice would you give to parents who are interested in raising bilingual or multilingual children? Sure. Um, I think that the best thing is just to go for it. I mean, I I think people get very um, self-conscious, very uh, nervous that they're not going to teach their child the right thing. And I did too. I you know, I can't tell you how many times I even asked my, I even talked to my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and said like, you know, is this, 
is this really going to work? Like, this isn't my first language. Am I, am I messing them up? Am I going to teach them, you know, all wrong? And they were very encouraging. Like, just, you're just going to learn with the kids. And like that, I think is the biggest thing to make sure you remember that like you are capable of doing this. And I even know people that don't really speak the language almost at all, but they're exposing their kids as much as they can. And that, that's something, it's a gift. You know, I think it's important that we realize like, if you have this to give to your kids, you might as well, because it's such a gift and they will be able to speak to so many more people because of this. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing, um, hearing about you speaking in a language that isn't your first to your children. Cause I, I hear from a lot of parents who are concerned about that. If I don't speak perfectly, can I teach this language to my children? And even like, I'm not a parent, but if I were to ever become a parent, I would want to I think, teach my children Italian, which I feel pretty fluent in, but I don't, it's not my first language. So it's, I I have the same thought. Like I feel comfortable going to Italy and speaking to anyone in Italian, but to speak to a child, it feels different. I think. It does feel different. I think there's a sort of growing period. You know, I could feel myself. It's not as natural at first. And it's like, okay, you have to sort of get past, just like when you're learning the language, like you have to get past that, like, this is my baby, like, you know, and I'm speaking to them in something that's not even my own language, not in my own, first. but then eventually it does become, it's like you create this connection within the language yourself. So I think it's just totally possible. You just have to, you know, have confidence in yourself that you can. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so inspiring. Um, (laughs) and, and what advice would you give to a parent who's considering homeschooling their child? Um, I think sort of down the same line, you know, if you feel like it's something that you are interested in doing and, and, you know, that maybe your kids would benefit from it, that give it a try and sort of like dive all in because, um, I've now started following a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other, you know, people that are talking about homeschooling. And I now have this idea that like, we really can teach our children. And if you, if you want to be there with them, teaching them that, that how fabulous of an experience is that as long as it's working for you, you know? And I think that's another thing is we sort of have this as a culture, this idea that, homeschooling is like you know it wasn't it wasn't always that it's just not it's sort of like you know for people that are super religious or that it's for that it's not necessarily as widely accepted I guess that's what I'm trying to say um but that that doesn't that that shouldn't deter you from trying to look at like what the benefits of it are because it's once you're you're doing it it's like oh this is this doesn't have to be you know exactly the same as it is in school and I think that was something I had to get past too it's like you know you you have this idea that you've grown up with it it's going to be like whether it's Montessori school or not that it's going to be the same as it is in a school and it's not because you're teaching them in your home so you have to sort of build around what do you have and what do they need and how are they doing and then you know come up with things that that work for your kids and and who knows their kid better than their, their own parents. 
So like, yeah. for example, you know, if there's something that like my oldest son who just came in, um, was sort of resisting a little bit learning math with me. So I signed him up for an out school class and he did so great. And now he's like really into it, you know? Um, so you just sort of try and see where they are and, and you know where they are and try, try to meet them there. Mm, that's, that's great advice. Like to tap into other resources if it's yeah. something that you need, not that you need help with, but that if there's like a little resistance to try to yeah, find a way around it. It's, it is true. Like people say, you know, it's easier for somebody else to teach your kids in some ways. I can see that, you know, you do have to have other resources. And so that's what I've tried to do is like, okay, if there's this one thing that we're not doing so well together, like let's try with someone else. And there are so many resources. And so there is always an, an option or we go to the library and like, we have these like um, story times with the librarian and the, the librarian is getting you to be more enthusiastic about reading. Whereas like sometimes, not always, but sometimes if it's your mom, like you just want to do what you want to do, you know? So to get someone else in there a little bit. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. This of is course, great. thank you so much for having me. Thank you again to Megan for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Megan on Instagram at languagelandlearn. I'll be back next week with a Q&A episode, so if you have a question about language acquisition, Montessori language development principles, or multilingualism, send it to me on Instagram, by email, or record a voice note, and you might hear your voice on a future episode. You can find links to everything in the episode description. Make sure you're subscribed to the Multilingual Montessori podcast wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. It helps more people find the show, and I really do read every single one. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.